Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're so happy you all could join us at Three Lakes E-Free. Would you stand? We're going to begin in worship together.
You may be seated. Good morning. Glad to have you here with us, and if you are visiting with us this morning, you're up here vacationing, you're just visiting for the first time, or one of your first times, we are glad that you are here with us this morning. My name is Tim, I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, and it's a joy to gather with all of you to worship and to praise the God who saved, the God who brought us all here to this place. A couple of announcement to bring to your attention this morning. One is that next Sunday, we'll kind of have our big kickoff of the school year. We'll have our first Sunday school of the year. And then following that Sunday school hour after the service, we will have uh, a harvest fest to celebrate the beginning of the year, to celebrate fall. As part of that, we will also dedicate both the new playground outside and the new nursery downstairs that's been renovated. And so we want to celebrate all that's been done by as many faithful members of this church to equip us to serve children and families well as we head into this school year. And so we invite you to be part of that. There will be food provided. You don't need to bring anything. Just come and celebrate with us. The other announcement to bring to your attention is that Many of you know we've had a few people who were key members of our security team leave or, in one case, pass away recently. And so there's a need for people who to serve in that capacity on the security team. And maybe you hear that and you think, well, I don't have any training. I don't like confrontation, whatever it is. But there's an opportunity to, like, we have security cameras throughout the building, and there's, those are monitored from the church office, right? And so if you are interested in just monitoring those cameras and then just kind of reporting to our more equipped and more trained security people about anything you may see. Like you can just sit in the office and report. You don't have to be the one who does the actual confronting if there were anything. So if you're interested in that, you you can reach out to to me, let me know. Or if you've met Tim Eaker, we're thankful for him. He's stepped into the role of overseeing our security ministry so you can talk to him. If you don't know him, you can email the church office or talk to me, and we'll get you set up with that. But again, we're just glad that you're here with us this morning. If you are new or visiting and there's anything you'd like to communicate with the church, there's a Connect card on the seat in front of you. I just invite you to fill that out. Let us know any information you might want us to know. And then you can drop those in the wooden boxes that are on the back wall on your way out this morning. Those wooden boxes are also where tithes and offerings can be placed if you're interested in, in giving to what we're doing here. There's also a QR code on the back of your bulletin. If you'd rather give online, you can scan that QR code and that will take you to where you need to be for online giving. And it's just a joy to be together to worship with you this morning. And so as we continue in this time of worship, would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this time to to gather, this time to be together as the family of Christ in this place. We just want to take time this morning to marvel at your goodness, your splendor. 
whatever challenges we may be facing in life right now, would we not forget all the ways you've blessed us, all the ways your goodness and grace have been poured out on us? Do we not forget that every breath we breathe, every beat of our heart is a gift from you and you've given us this life in order to bring you honor, bring you glory, bring you praise and to advance your kingdom. So would we we be faithful in that? Would we just take time as we sing, as we fellowship together to marvel at what a great and mighty God you are? A God who would save us from our sins when we had done nothing to deserve it by sending your Son to die for us. Would we never cease to be amazed that you love us that much? So God, as we sing now, as we hear your word this morning, would our hearts be transfixed by your majesty, by your love for us, by your grace towards us. And would the overflow of that feeling be worshipped to you as we sing now. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. First John 3, 1 John 3.1 says, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Would you stand as we continue to worship the God who, who loves us enough to die for us?
Father God, we praise you that you are indeed the Lord of all, that you are in the midst of the storms and trials of life. You are indeed Lord of all, that our hope is found in the the blood and the blameless life of Jesus and on nothing else that we can trust in Christ and His sinless life, His dying for us. Thank you that it does not depend on us and our own effort, but on the sinless life of Jesus and His death on the cross and His raising from the dead. Praise on Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Like most of you likely know, this past Friday was first day of school for many here in this area. And in that lead up to that first day of school, it got me, me thinking about my time as a teacher, and especially those, those weeks leading up to the beginning of the school year when we would have teacher in-service and teacher trainings and all those things. And I always had kind of mixed feelings about those weeks. On the one hand, like I was always excited to get back to school and see my coworkers and kind of get back into the swing of things. But on the other hand, I always kind of dreaded some of the activities we had to go to during teacher in-service week. Like, all I wanted to do was to be in my classroom working to get ready for the school year. And instead, we had to do all kinds of trainings and team-building nonsense and whatever else. Right? Like, we'd have all these meetings, right? And, like, and at the end of every single one of those meetings, they always ended with the, the same way, right? They always ended with the trainer or the leader asking, does anyone have any questions? And every time that was asked, the same thought went through my head, right? Which is that if anyone asks a question, I'm going to throw this pen through that window, right? Like, all I want to do is get back to my classroom and get to work, But there were some people who had to kind of show off to administration just how dedicated they were by asking these inane questions, after I had written that introduction, I came across this image that kind of summed it up well. The meeting was clearly over, yet Brad kept asking questions, and Steve's feelings were telling him to punch Brad in the face. Uh, That resonated deeply with my soul. No matter your line of work, it's not just teacher, no matter your line of work, you've probably had a situation like this. And if you've never had that feeling, then you're probably the person other people want to punch in the face. (laughs) But it's all a matter of perspective, right? Because the person asking that question, they're not trying to be annoying. They're just trying to do their job well and understand what they need to understand. But for the person not asking the question, it's annoying and it's frustrating and from an outside perspective, it kind of seems like they're trying to suck up and earn the favor of their bosses by asking these questions. And for me, at least, in those meetings, if I'm, if I'm being honest, part of what fueled my frustration was jealousy. 
Like, I was jealous that by asking those questions and by being good employees, that the, the people asking those questions were earning favor that I wish I could have earned. People who do their jobs well and who are engaged in their work and are committed to doing it well are often the object of jealousy from those who aren't quite as good at or committed to their job. And when I was teaching, I was also going through seminary. We also had young kids at home, and I just wasn't as committed as some of those other people. And I was jealous that they could be seen as better teachers than me. Like that jealousy can cause people then to, to lash out, if not actually physically, then with thoughts like this. And we certainly see that in the book of Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 6 this morning, and this is probably the most well-known story in the book of Daniel, one of the most well-known stories in the whole Bible. It's the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Like this story is the reason why the sermon art for this series is a lion. Everyone knows Daniel and the lion's den. But that familiarity can also be a challenge when we come to it on a Sunday morning. Like everyone's familiar with it. And the last thing, the last thing I want to do is try to try so hard to come up with some fresh perspective that I deviate from the main point of the story. But at the same time, many of us are so familiar with the story, there's a danger of kind of zoning out. Like, thinking you've heard all this before, there's nothing new to hear. And so trying to kind of try to balance those two things. Try to remain faithful to what this passage has to tell us, but hopefully do it in a way that you stay engaged in the story. So with that in mind, let's look at this chapter together, Daniel chapter 6. And as I've been doing throughout this series, I'm not going to read every verse of the chapter because it's fairly long, but I'll summarize some things and read some of the important verses. But before we jump into the story itself, let's just step back and remember where we are in history. So back in 605 B.C., Daniel, as a teenager, was captured in Jerusalem and brought to exile in Babylon. While there, he was trained in Babylonian culture, and then he ultimately served in the courts of two Babylonian kings, first King Nebuchadnezzar and then King Belshazzar. So he served Babylon for more than 60 years. He served in Babylonian government for more than 60 years, from 605 B.C. until 539 B.C., when Babylon was defeated by Persia. More than 60 years serving in one government. By the time we come to Daniel chapter 6, he's in his mid-80s. And the fall of Babylon to Persia happens at the end of chapter 5. And now this chapter, chapter 6, picks up with Persia trying to set everything in order for this new acquisition of what used to be Babylon. So Daniel's now serving in the Persian government rather than the Babylonian government. And the Persian leader is this guy named Darius, and he's trying to arrange for the administration of his kingdom. So we see in the beginning of chapter 6 that he appoints 120 what they call satraps over different districts of the kingdom. And then over those 120, he sets three administrators to kind of oversee everything. And 
the job of those administrators is to make sure that taxes were paid and there's no corruption, there's no embezzlement. And there's a position that Darius needed trustworthy people in. And we're told in, in verse 3 that Daniel is one of those people. In fact, in verse 3 we read, <clears throat> Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel's doing his job well. He's distinguishing himself and he's doing great. And this is where the jealousy starts to creep in. So they start, the other satraps, the other administrators, they're conspiring against Daniel. They want to take him out. But there's just one problem. In verse 4 we read, <clears throat> they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Daniel is doing his job. He's above reproach. There's nothing in him that is worthy of criticism. And so realizing this, realizing that the only way they're going to get to Daniel is through the law of his God, the other administrators and the satraps conceive of a plan to get Darius to pass a law that makes it illegal for anyone to pray to, to anyone except Darius. And they plan it because they know that Daniel, being faithful to his God, will not obey that law. And he will continue to pray to his God and not to Darius. That's exactly what happens. Darius signs the law. Daniel ignores it. And so in verse 10 we read, <clears throat> Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. This law passes and it changes Nothing for Daniel. He still continues to, to pray. That's exactly what the enemies of Daniel wanted until they see him praying and they run. They report him to Darius. And Darius, who likes Daniel, realizes he's been tricked. And he tries all day long to think of a way to get out of punishing Daniel. Verse 14 we read, He was determined to rescue Daniel. And he made every effort until sundown to save him. So Darius is on Daniel's side. He wants to get Daniel out of this. But he can't find a way. His hands are tied by his own law, and so they have no choice but to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And we're told that if they throw Daniel into the den, Darius says to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And then Daniel thrown in the den, and then on top of the den, it's like a big pit, right? It's just a pit with lines on the bottom, and then a rock is placed over the top of this pit. And then around that rock, the rock is sealed with the king's seal. In verse 17, it says, Our stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. 
So then Daniel spent all night in this lion's den, and in the morning, Darius, hoping against hope, that somehow Daniel is still alive, he runs to the lion's den. And he calls out, they call out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And much to his surprise, Daniel replies and says, My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. And then the king was overjoyed and gave order to lift Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. So Daniel is rescued. It's a beautiful story of, of God rescuing one of his faithful servants from the schemes of his enemies. And pretty much everyone who teaches this on a Sunday morning or writes on this story, they kind of all agree on, on the main idea. It's all about something about trusting God for deliverance and being found faithful to God, even when being faithful might get you into trouble. So I've summarized the main idea this way. That living as exiles means trusting God for deliverance from a broken world. It's kind of a pretty standard understanding of this passage, but here's the thing. We need to be really careful what we mean by that. Because the vast majority of the time, the way this story is taught is, look how Daniel trusted God. Look how brave Daniel was. Look how Daniel was willing to pray even when it's against the rules. Now you, you two go and be like Daniel. You go be brave. You go be bold. There's even a children's song called Dare to be a Daniel. The chorus goes, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. So often the idea is, like here's Daniel, this great moral example. So you should try to be like Daniel. That's how we teach this story a lot. Right? We teach many Bible stories a lot. But this way of reading this story highlights, I think, what one of the problems we often have when it comes to reading the Bible in general, which is that we really like to put ourselves in the place of whoever the main character of the story is. We like to make the story all about us. There's this website called, called Reddit, and it's just like a bunch of message boards. And they have these things called subreddits where you can like, learn and talk about pretty much anything you want. Right? So I'm in all these message boards of all these really niche things I'm into, like pickleball and disc golf and whatever else. Right? There's just message boards for everything on Reddit. And there's one called, I am the main character. And all it is is pictures and videos of people who, who go through this life believing that they should be the center of attention in every situation. There's a couple of examples for you. Your photo one. This couple contaminated drought-stricken town's water supply by dyeing a waterfall blue for a gender reveal. It's all about them. They don't care about anybody else. They're the main character. Right? Or there's this example. 
Welcome to Becca's Wedding, featuring Jack. <laughs> or this one. British tourist puts in complaint after holiday in Spain was ruined by, quote, too many Spanish people. They all think they're the main character. They think life is all about them. And we, we instinctively know that we shouldn't be like that. If you have the people in your life, you find them annoying and frustrating. People who are that self-centered. And yet, when we read the Bible, we tend to read the Bible like we're one of these people. And the story of Daniel and the lion's den is a prime example of that. Think about this. Like for the, by this time in history, the vast, vast, vast majority of Jews who had been living in Jerusalem are now living in exile in what was formerly Babylon, now Persia. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews are living in former Babylon, now Persia. They have, by and large, assimilated into the culture. And we don't, in the passage, see anything directly about how they're living. But what we do see is that not a single one of those thousands and thousands of others is charged with praying in defiance of the king's orders. It's only Daniel. There's only one person in the story who faithfulness to God gets him in trouble. And yet each one of us, when we come to this story, is tempted to say, yeah, I'm, I'm Daniel. I'm the main character. And how dare anyone think I would be like one of those other Israelites? I'm Daniel. As I said, like the big idea of this story is that we live in exile. As we live in exile, we need to trust God for deliverance from a broken world. But where I fear we often go astray is in where we are looking for that deliverance. So often we think we're Daniel. We put ourselves in the place of Daniel. And we say... Well, God will deliver me because I've proven myself faithful like Daniel. I've been a faithful worker. I've obeyed God's law. And so I've earned God's deliverance by being like Daniel. So surely God will deliver me from, deliver me from whatever my lion's den is, right? If I'm obedient enough, God will rescue me from my lion's den of financial troubles or my lion's den of sickness, or my lion's den of relational strife, or whatever it may be. Like, God will rescue me because of my faithfulness. Like, God rescued Daniel because of his faithfulness. It's often how we read this story. But that's not the point. The point of this story is that, yes, God will deliver us. But he will not deliver us because of our faithfulness. It's like Daniel's. Rather, he will deliver us because of the faithfulness of a greater Daniel. That the key to Daniel's deliverance, in its own words, right, was that he was found innocent in God's sight. Verse 22 says, My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of lions. They have not hurt me. Why? Because I was found innocent in his sight. That's why God delivered Daniel. He was found innocent in God's sight. So therefore, if you want God to deliver you from your lion's den, that's the prerequisite. You'd be found innocent in the sight of God. 
And the danger then of reading this in Daniel's shoes is that like, I know I can't say that. In myself, in my own power, in my own self, like, I know that I am not innocent before God. I know my sin. I know the times I've lied. I know the times I've had sinful thoughts. I know my laziness. I know the times I've been utterly disinterested in the things of God. I, in my flesh, cannot say I'm innocent in God's sight. And if that's true, then I no longer fit in Daniel's shoes. And if I don't fit in Daniel's shoes, what does this story have for me? We, like Daniel, all go into a pit. But the pit we need deliverance from, first and foremost, is the pit of hell. Which is what all those who are not found innocent in God's eyes are destined for. We've been talking all through this series about living as exiles. There's a number of different layers of exiles throughout the Bible. The Jewish people in Daniel's time are living as exiles in Babylon and Persia. Peter calls all who follow Christ exiles on this earth. But that concept of exile, they all point back to the fact that we are exiled from the Garden of Eden first and foremost. That the land we most deeply long to return to, the land that is our true home, is the land where man had communion and fellowship with God. That's where we're exiled from. And it's our sin that has caused us to be exiled from that land. That's what we need delivering from. We need to be delivered from this life of exile and from Eden back to Eden, back to the land of perfect fellowship and relationship with God. We are delivered ultimately because Jesus came. He was faithful on our behalf. And the story of Daniel and the lion's den is made, it's here in the Old Testament to point us forward to the story of Jesus, to the ultimate deliverer. Under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the author of Daniel, hundreds of years before Jesus even came, Write this story in a way that should point us who know Jesus to see foreshadowing of Jesus in this story. Let me see, let me tell you, show you where I see some of that. The first clue is in how Daniel is described. That the satraps and looking to get Daniel into trouble, we're told, could find no corruption in Daniel. And Daniel's shown to be utterly faithful to both God and his employer. The author is going out of its way to portray Daniel as the perfect Israelite. There's nothing in him that can get him in trouble. And the only way the satraps could get Daniel in trouble was by exploiting his faithfulness to God. Just that the only fault that could be found in Jesus was by exploiting his faithfulness to God. Namely, by refusing to lie about God being his father and he being the Messiah. 
Likewise, Darius worked and tried to find a way to save Daniel from his fate. The same way Pontius Pilate tried to release Jesus before giving into the pressure of the crowds. Daniel was thrown into a pit which everyone assumed would be his grave. And that grave is covered by a rock that is sealed with the king's seal. Just that Jesus is thrown into a cave that everyone assumed would be his grave. And in front of that cave, a rock was rolled, and that rock was sealed with Pilate's seal. But the next morning, hoping against hope, King Darius runs to the tomb, hoping that by some miracle he may find Daniel alive. Just as Peter and John, after hearing the report from Mary Magdalene, run to the tomb of Jesus, hoping against hope that by some miracle they might find Jesus alive. And in response to Daniel miraculously being alive, praise results. Darius decrees that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of lions. Likewise, the result of Jesus' resurrection is praise. We read in Philippians this song of praise that, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Throughout the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All that to say, please don't miss this. The main point of the story of Daniel and the lions then is not there to be a Daniel. Just as the main purpose of the story of Jesus is not to see Jesus as a good moral example. You might remember those, those bracelets that everyone wore back in the 90s with WWJD on them. Standing for, what would Jesus do? And I get the point of those, it's fine as far as it goes. But the most important answer to the question, what would Jesus do? is that Jesus would live a sinless life and die on a cross in order to make salvation possible for all mankind. You aren't doing that. That's the whole point of Jesus' life, the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of the whole biblical story is that you need God to rescue you because you can't rescue yourself. Even going back to that very first exile in the Garden of Eden, God promised that one day, he would send someone to defeat Satan, to defeat sin, to defeat death on our behalf. He does that in Jesus. The only way to be delivered ultimately from this broken world is by trusting that Jesus died on a cross after living a sinless life when there was no fault found in him. He was killed, that he was put in a tomb. He raised again on the third day. So that by trusting in him, his sinless life could be given to you so that you could have that perfect fellowship with God restored to you. So that you could return to the new Eden one day and the new heavens and the new earth. 
That's what Daniel is primarily about. Definitely what Jesus is primarily about. We are exiles on this earth. We are living as exiles, trusting God for deliverance from a broken world. The story of Daniel is a foreshadowing of how God does that, ultimately, through Jesus. So as we think about what this passage means for how we live our lives now, the primary thing, the main thing, that it should draw us, move us to praise God. It should point us to the gospel. It should point us to what God has done for us in Jesus. If we've never trusted Jesus, it should cause us to trust Jesus to forgive us of our sins because that's the only hope of deliverance. If we have trusted Jesus, then it should cause us to praise and marvel at God for all that he's done for us in Jesus. To marvel that, that Jesus was the perfect one. The one who could be delivered because he was perfectly innocent before God. We should marvel at that. We should marvel that God would send that Jesus to die for us when there was nothing good in us. We should marvel that while we were God's enemy, Christ died for us. That's the main takeaway here. All that being said, I think there are some applications that can be taken from Daniel's life. There are ways that Daniel can be seen as an example for us. But it's essential that we understand first that our obedience does not earn our deliverance. Our obedience does not earn God's favor. Any obedience that we take from this passage is, is a response to what Jesus has done for us first and foremost. In response to what Jesus has done for us. I think there's two kind of application from this passage. First, to be above reproach. Daniel, they were told, that they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Would that be true of all of us? Not for our own self-gratification, not for our own earning our salvation, but as a way of pointing people to Christ and to God and for people to see what a great God we serve. Would we be like Daniel in that way? Would we be above reproach so that people would look at us and marvel at our great God? The second kind of application, and this is where people often land, is then this idea of civil disobedience. What happens when the law of the land conflicts with the law of God's law. What happens when government tells us to do something that God's law forbids, or vice versa? What we see in Daniel is that Daniel is always faithful first and foremost to the law of God. When Darius said, don't pray to anyone but Darius, Daniel said no. It's the same thing in Acts when they're the apostles are told to stop talking about Jesus by the government. They say, no. 
there's a place for civil disobedience, for disregarding government orders when it conflicts with the Bible. But I will say this. There's times when people try to use their dislike of a certain law and hide behind civil disobedience, even though the Bible doesn't expressly forbid obeying that law. We've got to be careful to make sure that if we're going to do this, if we're going to apply this to our lives, you better be very sure that what you're being told by your government actually conflicts with the Bible. And it's not just that you don't like that law, you're going to try to find a justification in the Bible for disobeying that law. But it does mean, right, that especially as culture shifts, as government shifts, and there's a real risk of government telling us to do things or not do things, that the Bible clearly tells us to do or not do, that there may be a time when we need to stand firm like Daniel, but not to earn our salvation, not to earn our deliverance from God, but because we know we can stand firm because we know that we've already been delivered by God through Jesus. That whatever this world can do to us, it doesn't ultimately matter because we are safe in the arms of Jesus. Our eternity is secure. So we can risk disobedience and whatever the powers of this world are going to throw at us because we know our eternity is secure. We don't disobey, we don't practice civil disobedience because we're trying to earn God's favor or because we're trying to prove how committed we are. We can disobey, we can risk any trial this life throws at us because we're sure. Because we're trusting that God has already delivered us from this broken world in Jesus. That there is coming a day when God will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus will return, he will set all things right. When Eden will be restored in the shape and the form of the new heavens and the new earth, and we will all be together eternally in God's presence in perfect fellowship with him, praising him like it was in the Garden of Eden. We will no longer be exiles all because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and through faith in him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that Jesus lived the life we could not live. He died the death we deserve to die. So that by trusting in him, our sins could be forgiven. We could receive Jesus' perfect life that we could know we are secure that one day we will be with you again in the new Eden, in the new heavens, in the new earth. We will no longer be exiled, but we will be united with you in your eternal kingdom.
But Father, until that day comes, would we, by our by living lives that are above reproach, by living boldly like Daniel, would we point others to Jesus? Would we use every breath you've given us on this broken earth to encourage and prompt and invite others to see their need for Jesus? To see that the only hope of deliverance is being found innocent in your eyes and the only way to be found innocent in your eyes is through faith in Jesus. Father, would we share that message with those who we encounter, with those in our lives, those who you and your sovereign wisdom have have placed in our lives. Would we be faithful in sharing that message? Would we be faithful in encouraging others to see their need of a Savior and to trust in Jesus to be that Savior? Father, we are thankful for all you've done for us in Christ. We thank you for your grace towards us. We pray, God, that you go and we live lives that honor you. Grace in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go out this morning, Would you go not daring to be a Daniel, but would you go confident that one who is greater than Daniel dared to come and live and die for you? You are dismissed.